Welcome to The Source from the ATA, conversations about telehealth and virtual care from the thought leaders, experts, and visionaries who are working to change the way the world thinks about healthcare. Not so long ago, conventional wisdom might have suggested that traditional conferencing and webinar platforms didn't really have any business playing in the highly regulated world of telehealth. But conventional wisdom hasn't really held up too well in the midst of a global pandemic. And it means that the world of telehealth is not only facing new cultural, financial, and regulatory environments, it's also in the midst of some significant new players. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Ron Emerson. Ron is the global healthcare lead at a company that you probably hadn't heard of 18 months ago, but that you now talk about daily. That company, of course, is Zoom. Join Ron and I as we talk about Zoom's explosive growth and emergence as a force in telehealth now and in the future. Ron, thanks so much for being with us on The Source today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, I'm intrigued to learn there's so much that's happened with Zoom over the last 12 months. Um, but before we dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit from you. You're the global healthcare lead at Zoom, but how did that come to be? What were some of your sort of career milestones that pointed you in this direction at this time? Now, uh, thank you very much for the question. You know, it's, it's really been an interesting journey, probably a non-traditional journey, I guess I would say, um, compared to a lot of folks who end up in, uh, um, in healthcare and the, the corporate side. But I was, uh, I went into the Marine Corps at 18 years old. I was in infantry and I was in a, uh, anti-terrorist unit and I was in the Marine Corps for uh, four years and got out and and then I actually uh, um, um, I switched and I actually got my bachelor's degree in, in nursing and after um, getting my bachelor's degree in nursing I moved to the state of Maine where I worked in acute cardiopulmonary and I think I realized at the time which was interesting is you know to really understand all components of healthcare, not just the hospital but the home so I did per diem um, as a nurse and I did home health and then I also did per diem in skilled nursing facilities to learn about, you know, um, nursing facility and aged care facilities and really kind of understanding that continuum across where healthcare occurs, which is across every different environment. I did that for, uh, you know, almost uh, about a year and a half, I guess, um, almost two years. And then I had the opportunity um, to sort of mix two of my passions. Um, one is technology and the other is healthcare. And I started working as a nurse um, for what was called the main telemedicine network way back in the day. And um, I'm sort of aging myself there. And this is when we were just figuring things out in telemedicine, you know, reimbursement and uh, Medicare had like a 80-20 uh, split where, you're, you know, and, and, and Medicaid didn't reimburse and the privates didn't reimburse and people never heard the term. And then I had an opportunity. Um, I was on uh, um, to, to run healthcare for uh, Polycom. Um, I was in 46 countries developing video-based and telemedicine uh, pro programs and projects. I was on the board of the American Telemedicine Association, so I've had experience from the technology, the clinical, and the regulatory side. And um, it just all seemed like a great fit as uh, Zoom expands um, its presence and its focus in, in the healthcare space. And here I am today. That is a, an amazing combination of things that you've put together there. And I'm really, I'm very curious. Can you tell me, as, after leaving the Marine Corps, why healthcare and why specifically nursing? What was it that grabbed your attention about that direction that you took? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I've often thought of this, this many times. And, uh, 
you know, my mom was always just a very, uh, my mom was very open, um, very caring, always liked to help people. And um, she was a caretaker for a lot of people. And I saw that. And that was one of the examples in my life of the, the impact that you can have um, on people in a very personal level. And that meant something to me. And um, I also, uh, when I started going to university, I looked at respiratory therapy and other areas. And I, and I say, I knew that, you know, I was interested in technology and I was interested mm. in business and sort of the other things. Um, besides just nursing itself in general and sort of using that. And I, I uh, worked for a biomedical company and I knew a pulmonologist and I told him I was thinking of respiratory therapy and he looked me dead in the eye and I said, you know, maybe being a doctor or respiratory therapist would be dead in the eye. And he said, the best degree that you can get is get your bachelor's degree in nursing. He said, it'll give you more credibility. It'll give you more of an exposure of the entire health care system. And nurses are seen as doers not just figurehead um, folks, and it'll help you get into where you need to be and where you can be the most successful. That is fantastic. And actually, I've had an opportunity to talk to so many nurses who are really uh, starting to do amazing things in healthcare. And so we could we could do a whole separate conversation around that. But today, it's all about Zoom and the work that you're doing there. I, I think it's probably pretty safe to say that you know, 18 months ago, Zoom was certainly not a household name and maybe not even that well known. Can you talk a little bit about what has happened to Zoom? Like we, you know, you're in the lexicon now. What's what's happened over this last 12 to 18 months? So just to go over the scale and the changes that Zoom faced uh, during COVID, if you look at January of 2020, there were 10 million daily uh, meeting participants. And then if you go to April of 2020, there were 300 million daily meeting participants. So that shows you the ability of Zoom to scale. And I take my hat off to my colleagues who were there during that time because I was not. Yeah. And I can say as an early Zoom adopter from you know 2019, I, it seems like a long time that I've been using Zoom. I was actually a little worried because it's a platform I rely on for my business. And I was worried that with all that volume, you know, the system might collapse. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Hats off to the, to the team that sort of kept it going and growing. I'm really curious about Zoom and telehealth because I know, you know, for years, doctors have, you know, tried to skirt the the necessities of staying HIPAA compliant as much as possible. You know, every once in a while, a doctor will email or will text uh, just because it's convenient for the patient. But doing that uh, legitimately compliant with HIPAA, like how did that all come together? What How is Zoom being used for telehealth? It's an, it's an interesting question. And a lot of the, the uptake and the utilization, of course, a lot of that um, was consistent with the numbers that we saw in healthcare. And uh, really two areas, you know, out of necessity, like everyone else that is, is viewing this, um, you know, we, we uh, did not have the luxury of going to healthcare organizations um, because to decrease exposure. So of course, Zoom is being used um, even prior to COVID, but especially during COVID for video assisted virtual visits. And of course, a patient can be um, at any location on any device, and they can have that high level interaction with their clinician from a distance. And they really do it two different ways. Um, some organizations choose to just use Zoom um, natively um, the way that it is. And we have organizations that do not have integration into their electronic health record that are doing 45, 50, some of them 60,000 consults a month 
during the peak of COVID. But then we also do have organizations, let's say like Epic, for example, where we have integration into the EMR um, to help mimic clinician workflow um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So video assisted virtual visits into the home is of course just a huge use case in the telehealth space. Uh, the other is, um, and um, a lot of folks aren't familiar with this, but Zoom technology as it is, is you can plug medical peripheral devices into the actual, um, into the computer that you're using on a day-to-day -day basis. You can plug electronic stethoscopes to listen to heart and lung sounds. You could plug multi-purpose cameras to, you know, use an otoscope to look in the ear, use a handheld camera to look in the throat, a dermoscope to look at a skin lesion. Um, so you can use this as a multi-purpose platform for telehealth. And then a lot of the organizations just want to use the, the key functionality of the video, um, maybe with pan tilt zoom capabilities for things such as telestroke or um, when patients are in the emergency room for mental health crisis and a variety of other applications. So direct to consumer integration and not integration, and then basically telemedicine cards for inpatient facility-based telehealth. That is, it is fascinating. I never even thought about the ability to link Zoom to other measuring devices related to healthcare that would uh, help facilitate diagnosis. Um, I'm really curious with the kind of explosive growth that Zoom has experienced over the last year, why you can't go into healthcare the way Zoom has without making a significant and purposeful decision to do so, right? That involves investment in infrastructure and in people. With all the growth that's already been happening, why is healthcare important to Zoom? Well, first of all, um, you know, healthcare is core to Zoom's core mission um, of reaching out and, and as Zoom says, you know, causing happiness uh, for the world. And, and Zoom uh, really does live by that. Zoom has been providing free product to over uh, 125,000 schools worldwide. It is part of Zoom to do things that actually help people. And, um, and then the other area that we see Zoom very well positioned is just the technology and how it works as far as providing a cost-effective solution. So when you look at telehealth, and healthcare shifting, right? If you look at, you know, there's an older McKinsey report that shows from 1960 to 2010 that, you know, healthcare increased in cost five times gross domestic product. But during that exact same time, we actually decreased in productivity by about 3%. Wow. And we increased about 3% in the actual number of healthcare workers. So, you know, it's not, um, you know, healthcare is, is not immune to disruption in the market, especially with cost. So under that fee-for-service model, you know, we see accountable care and value-based care as a huge component. So it's about the doctor seeing the patient, but the other area that Zoom, we feel we have so much strength is how we can reach across that continuum of care for value-based care. So we can reach into the home to provide meaningful interactions between patients and educators for wellness and prevention to change behavior so they don't have exacerbations and have deterioration of conditions over time. That's more meaningful, impactful than getting, let's say something in the mail, telling them how to change their diet. Um, right. We believe that by using our technology for, for care coordination and discharge planning and multidisciplinary team meetings, all of these non just fee-for-service models that we're beginning to see continue to grow through payer providers and ACOs and just realizing what's working and what isn't working, we feel like we have a unique place in the market and um, it validates the, uh, the investment that we're making that of course is good for Zoom, but more importantly, it's good for, for, um, for healthcare organizations and for patients. So Ron, you mentioned a moment ago an integration with Epic uh, and that is a really intriguing thing. I'd love to hear more 
about Zoom's efforts to integrate with uh, electronic medical records and other sort of health IT applications. Can you give me, uh, can you give me some more detail around that? No, definitely. Um, you know, what we see in healthcare is we see organizations wanting to, um, you know, have one platform. They want to, we have all these sort of parallel platforms working together for specific niche applications across the healthcare enterprise. And they're trying to simplify. Uh, one of our key um, missions and our strategies that we feel uh, will really assist in increasing the ROI and also to be able to mimic how healthcare professionals work in a day-to-day -day basis is integration into the electronic health record, you know, as you said. And uh, so as, as healthcare professionals see patients every day, they're in their EHR, so it only makes sense that they use the same, the same tools where they don't have duplication. They have e-commerce tools where they can collect copays. They have e-prescribing in the EHR. So why would they have a separate parallel system that does the same thing when we can simply, simply integrate sort of that high-level integration capability to have that high-level interaction with patients? So um, we'll just use Epic as an example. I mean, Zoom is integrated um, into Epic. And during the peak of the pandemic, uh, we looked at our top 100 Epic integrations for healthcare customers. And we did close to 3 million consults in one month with those um, hundred. So you can see the scale of this. And, and what it's about, it's about mimic workflow. So the, the patient goes in using the example of, of Epic again, they go into my chart, they schedule, they, they pay their copay, they, they can see the physician schedule and they can um, put what time is convenient for them as well. Um, they put in what all of their um, pertinent subjective information, on what medications are on, allergies, all the things you would as if you called into an office or if you were in the physician's office. And then on the clinician side, they basically can click on the button prior to the actual consultation. They get all of the baseline information and they click the button and it basically brings the two organizations and to, or, or two, um, two people together to have that clinical interaction. It, it's amazing. And I guess I'm really curious. I mean, obviously growth among the general public has been massive. What, what kind of scale are we talking about here in terms of healthcare organizations actually using Zoom? And, you know, are there some big, you know, notable adopters? What does that look like? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Zoom goes across um, all segments as far as organizational size. Uh, you know, we, we do know that if you look at the like U.S. News and, and World Report, you know, a significant number of those top 10 hospitals are using uh, Zoom on a day-to-day -day basis um, through the integration of their Epic platform. But we also have many um, smaller organizations all the way from primary care physicians to individual psychologists and LCSWs that are using um, Zoom in their actual, their, their, their actual practices. So we have widespread adoption and Zoom is in most major organizations at some level. It's, it's really incredible to see. Um, I, I guess, we can't have this conversation without asking about privacy. Uh, since we're talking about healthcare, you know, we've referenced HIPAA. Tell me about Zoom's positioning on privacy and security specifically to healthcare. How has that come about and sort of where, where do you see it going? Yeah, um, the, the entire Zoom platform has went through of course, the, um, the OCR's uh, review process within a third-party reviewer. And um, Zoom does offer a BAA for HIPAA. And when we look at that, what we have done is um, ensure that when data is at rest or data is in motion, 
um, it is in a secure environment. So we've taken care of the privacy piece with security buttons so you can authenticate who comes into calls. You can lock rooms after certain individuals are in calls so others cannot join the call. You can stop calls immediately. Um, you authenticate through email and through acceptance into the actual system itself. Um, when you look at security, of course, we use AES encryption for data in motion and data um, at rest. And we even have the ability for um, geographic location where you can basically choose which servers and basically databases that you want your information to be running through. So if you want your health information, um, your PHI to be only run within the United States, you can basically check that box in your account and it will stay and keep that data running through um, US servers and databases. It's, it's fascinating. I guess I'm curious when you're using Zoom in the context of an organization like that, that's concerned about PHI and that, you know, is operating under business associate agreements, does the experience of Zoom change very much or does it still look and feel like the Zoom that we know and love? No, um, you know, on purpose and, and by detail, um, you know, it still looks like the Zoom that you feel in love. But what we do is we give you the ability as the customer to control which features you want to turn on and off. So you can set up a subgroup. Let's say you have 50 doctors and you know these doctors are going to be providing um, clinical care and that's their sole purpose and use of using Zoom under that account. Um, you know, you might want to turn off recordings. You don't want them to be able to record their sessions sure. if you choose so. You might not want them to be able to actually do perpetual chat where they could save documents inside of Zoom. That's your choice. Um, you could keep those on, you could keep them off, but regardless of what you do, they are still working in a secure environment um, that is validated by the, by the BAA. Uh, one other thing to mention that I think is important, you know, one thing we're very passionate about is I, I talked about the schools and you know, reaching out. We feel that a single provider, small physicians practices, mm -hmm. you know, some of the data that I've looked at, 48 to 52% of providers uh, in the US work in, in practices that have less than 10 providers, um, fewer than 10 providers. And so we feel that those organizations deserve the same level of communication and ability to reach out to their patients during COVID, but even after COVID. So what we've developed is we've developed an online BAA process. And this is for basically organizations that have fewer than 10, um, 10, um, 10 employees, large organizations, they would take a different route. But if they have fewer than 10 employees, they can go online and they can get an automated BAA where they can get up to nine license and they can electronically sign their BAA, get their BAA, and um, it allows them to work under HIPAA compliance. That's fantastic. And boy, what a, what a boon to the workflow not to have to carve out, uh, you know, faxing forms back and forth. That's, that's brilliant. Um, I, I'm really curious, and we could, we could do this all day, Ron, because the, the work that you're doing here is so amazing. I, I'm really curious. I want to tap into your Nostradamus self. As things have evolved so quickly over the year, um, how how do you see, what changes do you foresee in telehealth broadly, but also at Zoom in the coming years? What do you think we should be looking for? I'm not going to hold you to it, so feel free to, you know, put it out there. All right, I appreciate that. Well, I, I think, first of all, you know, having been in telemedicine for, you know, for, for you know, close to 25 years, from grassroots when people didn't know what the word telehealth and telemedicine went when there was no reimbursement, you know, up to this point, right? It's just been extraordinary to, to, to see the growth. And, and you've heard this term many times, I'm sure as you've interviewed other people or that you will, you know, it took a pandemic to make it happen, right? But you know what, we have had a pandemic 
And now because clinicians and patients are familiar with the technology, uh, we know that we're gonna see at least more familiarity in a more consumer-driven market that they're gonna want different delivery models. And also I think that since there's been familiarity with it, that they realize it's not as hard as they thought it would be in many cases, mm-hmm. is that we're gonna see um, different delivery models based on value-based care. So the first thing, uh, depending on which data point you look at, you know, we, we look at pre, you know, pre-COVID, um, let's say video assisted virtual visits, you know, the numbers could be you know, fairly low um, in regards to people that actually could see a doctor over their phone, let's say. Sure. Um, and some of that was driven by reimbursement and other things, as we know. But, but during COVID, you know, that would go up sometimes to 80, 90% of outpatient visits. Uh, you know, where that number settles on the other side is it comes down and people can go back to the physician's office. Uh, some of the numbers that I hear when I talk to customers continuously and when I look at research data and, you know, take this number for what it's worth. But, you know, some people say 15 to 30 percent of outpatient visits they feel um, within their organization or some of the research that you read. Um, that's where they feel like the, the number might fall. Within that. Some predict that it might be higher. Of course, some predict that it might be lower. But that's sort of a number that I, I hear and that we see quite frequently. So that's sort of one data point, and we'll see how, um, how well that, that bears true as we, as we move forward. Um, the second thing that I see in, is it's not just about telehealth, doctoracy, and patients. I think what this has taught us is that we realize we can use virtual technologies to help with the changing models of care, which is, as we hear the term value-based care and quality-based care, and we talk about capitated rates, you know, where a certain amount of money is given to an organization and they say, mm-hmm. okay, here's your amount of money. Now you get a thousand dollars to take care of Ron Emerson and his family. Now you clinician and healthcare team figure out how to do that. So, you know, we see a real um, excitement looking at the bigger use of virtual technologies, including telehealth to actually move the needle in how healthcare is provided because the way that I look at it, it's all about touch points. It's how can we have impactful relationships with people? We know that there's a direct correlation between access to care and quality of care. We know that. Sure. We know that there's a direct correlation. So when we close down those geographic barriers and you know, and it's the, the whole concept and why Zoom is, is here and other companies are here is because it's more efficient to move information than it is people. Um, you know, the impact we can have is significant and, and, and that's what this, this uh, pandemic helped us to realize. Now, as far as Zoom, um, you know, without saying too much, I can just tell you that Zoom is very dedicated um, to the space um, mm-hmm. in developing, uh, you know, more specific features and functionalities and um, being able to have increased workflow capabilities. We have very robust APIs and SDKs, and we'll be utilizing those things to expand our partnerships and integrations and making it easier for clinicians and providers to utilize Zoom as their platform of choice uh, to provide patient care. Fantastic. Well, Ron, I am so grateful for you spending the time to be with us at The Source today. And again, thank you and congratulations to the team at Zoom for really stepping up to the plate in a difficult circumstance and uh, making a lot of people's lives better. Uh, We appreciate you. Nah, Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. And thank you to the ATA and the, the rest of the Zoom team. Thank you very much. 